Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and their Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. Thank you for joining me today. Uh, once again on my podcast, it is an absolute honor to have you. Bonjour, namaste, namaskar, namaskaram, sasrikal, salam alaikum, and bon dia, guten abend, uh, buenos dias, for, to everyone all over the world listening on my podcast. So we are on a topic of uh, Judaism, the history of Judaism. Okay, we talked basically how it started uh, with Abraham, how it came to Canaan, from Canaan went to Egypt. Egypt, they became slaves. They fled uh, the desert um, in an exodus accompanied by Moses. And that's basically where, uh, in Sinai, where they hid for 40 days, 40 years, the religion of uh, what we now call Judaism takes root. Uh, we talked about something very, some couple of very important instances, uh, Moses, the Exodus, the Ark of the Covenant. We're going to start today with the Ark of the Covenant and carry on from there. But just before I start, I'd like to give you a, a little reference. In the newspapers, we have the chief minister of Assam um, talking about madrasas, Islamic madrasas, how they should be all eradicated and the name should be absolutely eradicated from the dictionary. Well, what's a madrasa? A madrasa is an Islamic school where they teach Quranic learning, teach you about Quran and Islam. And for all those who think it's an Islamic thing, a concept, you're wrong. Again, like everything else, madrasa comes from Judaism. And since we're on the topic of Judaism, I'm going to tell you where the concept of madrasa comes from. Um, so a madrasa in Judaism, it actually is a Judaic word, Hebrew word, um, a madrasa comes from the word Midrash, so M-I-D-R-A-S-H. A Midrash, the, the Midrash was a commentary, books on commentary of the Torah and related scriptures in the form of legends and stories meant at understanding why and how something happened in the Bible. Uh, the Midrash was formed as a result of thousands of years of verbal explanations of the wonders of the Bible, or the Old Testament as we know it. Most of the famous commentaries we find center around the five books of Moses, or what is known in Hebrew as the Pentateuch. Uh, so that's the Midrash. Midrash is a commentary on the Torah. Okay, uh, That's the first five books of Moses. Uh, part of the Old Testament. Now, when the Jews, uh, the kingdom of Judea split and broke and got disbanded, the Jews went all over the place. So there were, there were Jews in Arabia, there were Jews in Africa, there were Jews in the Persian. There were about 20-odd million Jews in the Persian Empire. There were about 6 million Jews in uh, the Roman Empire in Europe. And there were Jews all over the Indian subcontinent. Now, they were not called Jews. They were called Hebrews. As we know very well, in Mecca, there were a few... Um, Hebrews, okay, and in Medina, half of the Medinan population was the were Hebrews, 
Okay, so they already knew they had schools, local schools, like how we have gurukuls in, in India. Their local schooling was called, the, um, the schooling existed, and, and the schooling taught them uh, about the Midrash, which is commentary on the Torah. So basically, it was there were schools, and in this school, you learned about the Midrash, commentary on the Torah, on the Tanakh, um, and different uh, commentaries of the Bible, what we call now is the Bible. When this region became Islamic, those that concept of learning the, about the commentaries, about the Midrash, then actually became schools or called madrasas in Islam. So madrasa comes from the Hebrew concept of Midrash, which is commentary on the Torah. So again, it's a, uh, it's a learning, a place where you learn about the Midrash. Uh, only thing this now becomes, Midrash now becomes a school where you learn, but you're learning about the Quran instead of learning about the Torah. So that's the, um, that's the real place where, um, where the word Madrasa comes from. Hebrew will, uh, Islam will tell you something completely different, that it comes from, it was the first school where the Prophet Muhammad taught, but where did he get the concept of Madrasa? He taught, no two things about it, uh, we'll go with that history, where did he get the concept? The concept comes from the Hebrews. So that's my little story about the Madrasa and uh, what they are doing, unfortunately, in on the Indian subcontinent and where the route comes from, uh, if anyone ever wants to take it up with the um, Chief Minister of Assam, who's doing a great job in his state, and we wish him all the very best. So we'll go back to Judaism and history, and we will go back to the Ark of the Covenant, a very important part of Judaism. Without the Ark of the Covenant, there will not be any Judaism. So with regards to the Ark of the Covenant itself, modern researchers have found out that the dimensions of the Ark match the sarcophagus of the King's Chamber found in the Great Pyramid of Giza. Calculating the handles on the top and, and the Ark used for its transport, the Ark fits directly into the sarcophagus. So how did Moses, who gave the Israelites these dimensions, get these figures? Did God really give it to them? Well, remember, our friend Moses was brought up as a royal prince. He had access to all the information of the pharaohs. He had access to even the pyramids, their secret ins and outs. He probably knew what a secret what he probably knew about a secret ent entrance to the Great Pyramid and visited the sarcophagus several times prior to his flight into the Sinai Desert with the Israelites. Three months into the desert, they reached the Sinai Peninsula. They camped in the desert in front of Mount Sinai. God called Moses to the top of the mountain. Moses climbs Mount Sinai and has his talk with God. He comes down from the hill with two tablets on which he transcribed the Ten Commandments. Dimensions of the sarcophagus lying in the king's chamber of the Great Pyramid also came from there. This includes a bucket list of gold and silver items. Really? 
So some sweet soul really wants me to believe this. This is like the story of the Virgin Mary. How come God does not come down with a, to us with a bu bucket list? For starters, I will take the winning numbers of the lottery, God, if you're still in the mood of giving out secrets. Well, my dear friends, our dear friend Moses, who grew up with the pharaohs, was not telling us the truth for sure. Or maybe he told us the truth, but the people who wrote it down wrote something completely different. If the story of the Old Testament is right, he had access to the Great Pyramid and all her treasures. Those tablets were also probably part of the sarcophagus or made prior to the Israelites leaving Egypt. Moses used the story of God as a leverage to gain traction. The generations to come institutionalized the story and politicized it to form a religion. That which spurned two other f religions and the Bahia faith. So all from that root of Sinai, we get what is now known as Judaism. Then we get Christianity, Islam, and the Baha'i faith. That's a lot of religions from one mountain. Uh, one important part of the story of the Israelites' flight from Egyptian bondage was where it says, after ten plagues, the Pharaoh let the Israelites go. They were in such a hurry that they did not wait for the bread to rise the night of the Exodus. Their those were marked with blood from the freshly slaughtered spring lamb. It said the Pharaoh was fearful that the Israelites would associate with their enemies, the Canaanites. However, Canaan was part of the Egyptian empire. So, wrong turn again. Did Moses only take the dimensions of the Great Pyramid um, and the Ark itself? We know that the Egyptian sarcophagus, even if the Great Pyramid was built by an earlier civilization and reused by the Egyptians, was laden with gold and silver. Moses and the Israelite rabbis, also with the ruling class, would have needed gold and silver for their journey into the desert and to conquer the land of Canaan, and build themselves a kingdom. Where was that going to come from? What was the reason the Egyptian slave master, who was, was beating the Israeli slave just before they leave for the Exodus, was the, was the slave stealing something? Moses kills the Egyptian slave master right before he leaves. Why? So that his plan does not get out, you do not kill a person just for abusing another unless. He then flees to Midian where he encounters the angel of the Lord who instructs him to free the Israelites from bondage. The Bible says 600,000 able-bodied men fled Egypt the night of the Exodus. Add women, children and elders with livestock, one will go into the millions. In reality, there is no proof to back up the 600,000 men's theory. One thing is sure, the measurements of the Ark of the Covenant match the sarcophagus in the king's chamber of the Great Pyramid. It was not God who gave it to Moses. Um, when the Pharaoh 
found out about the exodus of the Israelites, including the possible theft of the Ark of the Covenant, gold and silver, he surely would have set his army after the Israelites. Moses may or may have not taken the Ark of the Covenant from the sarcophagus in the king's chamber, or maybe only the gold and the silver, but he stole something which angered the Pharaoh. Researchers have also questioned the timeline of the Exodus. In that era, we have an important geological event that happened approximately 1,800 miles or 550 miles by road and 550 miles by sea from the Nile River Delta. That is, the Santorini volcanic eruption of 1646 BCE in Greece. This eruption produced a regular series of cataclysmic disruptions of gas leaks from below the Earth's surface to turn the sea and the lakes red, ash clouds, hail, lava, disease, fish, animal life, disruption, and death and locusts. Nothing to do with God. The crossing of the Red Sea that the Israelites allegedly do to go from Egypt to um, to the Sinai Peninsula or to Arabia also has nothing to do with God. You see, the story of Judaism or of of Judeo-Christianity depends on Moses and Moses parting the Red Sea so that his 600,000 or million strong uh, Israelites could flee from Pharaoh's approaching army. And history says that he split the sea into two and, and the Red Sea was split and Moses took his, his Israelite slaves across. But it's not true because in the original um, in the original uh, book, the crossing of the Red Sea was not really the Red Sea, but Yam Super. So I'll spell that out for you in, in Hebrew, Y-A-M-S-U-P-H. Super is Hebrew where Moses parted the waters. It was translated into English as the Red Sea. It actually means the sea of reeds or, or sea of seaweeds. This means sweet water found in an inland river or lake system much smaller than the Red Sea. The fault line that runs below the Nile River system all are also the same fault lines below the earth that run below Santorini, Greece. Uh, they would have been volcanoes, Earthquakes in this region, rendering successive exoduses every time the food chain of the region was disrupted. This means the shifting fault lines below the Earth caused tremors on, at the Earth's surface, which eventually erupted as volcanic gas in Santorini in Greece. This disruption of the tectonic plates on which the Sinai Desert sits on, upon would have caused the land to shake or rise slightly. Draining the water of the river systems and causing land previously submerged below the water to be now exposed. The Israelites crossed over. When the Egyptians followed in the same marshy sinking sand, the terrain would have become too dangerous to continue, thus trapping the Egyptians. Water would have risen up 
again or tsunamis could have followed caused by small earth tremors that continued as, as with all earthquakes. The pillars of smoke by the day and the pillars of fires by night that were seen by the Israelites in the desert would have been the gas that leaked from the earth's fault lines in the Sinai, just like the, an oil-rich area. All this due to the earthquake, which caught fire. Like I said, just like today's oil fields, migration, exodus, immigration is always when you are lacking something and you need to change your location in order to procure what you do not have. Every time there was an earthquake, there would have been a chaos. And a break in the food chain and the human chain, leading to a break for the Israelites trapped in Egypt. There was another earthquake around 1225 BC to 1175 BC at the end of the Bronze Age. So either of these earthquakes could have caused them to flee into the Sinai and finally to freedom. The story does not end here. When the Israelites finally forged the Kingdom of Israel to build the Temple of Jerusalem, the cubic dimensions of the inner chamber of the Temple, also known as the Holy of Holies, is identical to the King's Chamber of the Great Pyramid. Coincidence? I doubt it. You can check it out on YouTube uh, by Jerry Cannon, and he talks about um, the... He talks about the Holy of Holies and the Temple Mount, and he talks about the Ark of the Covenant and his search for the Ark of the Covenant. However, my gut feeling tells me that something is different altogether. I do not think that Moses killed the Egyptian slave. There is no prior story of Moses killing anyone. You do not get violent from one moment to the other. I think more on the lines of the Israeli slave was the one who killed the Egyptian slave master and Moses had to cover up for him or blamed it on Moses to prevent the Egyptians from finding out what was going on. Moses knew the Hebrews were trying to steal something. The next day, as per Exodus chapter 2 verse 15, there was squabbling as well. Remember not all the Israelites went into the Sinai. Some researchers say that 80% of the Israelites stayed behind, showing that all Hebrews were on the same page. Now Moses were, was the adopted son of Pharaoh. Hence this would have not gone down very well. The Hebrews had to flee the night of the Exodus, now celebrated as the festival of Passover. A particular faction of the Israelite slaves could have stolen the sarcophagus, the gold and the remaining contents. Once they were safe in the Sinai, in Midian territory, they changed their story. Moses could have given the Hebrews the wisdom of the Torah, even helped them during the cataclysm and the earthquakes of its time. However, after that, they changed the story and made sure he disappeared from history once they escaped Egypt. All this without Moses knowing what, had, what they had taken from the pharaoh of the pyramids. The caravan could have been so long that the people in the back would have not known about what was going on in the front. Just They just followed. The story has, was changed on its way. 
institutionalized as God's wish, and now we have a legitimized religious parable. That story later says that Moses goes up Mount Sinai 47 days into the Exodus and stays there for 40 days in the Sinai Desert. He brings down two tablets from God, instructions for building the Ark of the Covenant, and history would never be the same again. The Exodus was the institutionalized was institutionalized in Israelite traditions as the Passover, as mentioned. However, it's also amalgamated along with another ancient spring festival that already existed to celebrate the spring harvest. Another equiloxal event converted into a tradition, institutionalized and made into a religion. Remember, there was an Islamic caliph, Mamun, Al-Mamun, I think his name was, who would later on ascend the Great Pyramid of Giza through a crude tunnel he, he built near the main entrance and is said to have forged an entry. History says he stole the gold uh, hidden inside the graves of the Egyptian mummies. However, I think otherwise. Now, he probably did go there with the purpose of taking something, like most kings of that time, Remember, by then, the Muslims had conquered the Levant and allied with several Israelites. The Israelites, who spent a long time as slaves in Egypt, would have known the ins and outs of the pyramids. The stories would have passed, been passed down through generations and transferred to their geopolitical allies of the Muslims. The tunnel was more than likely originally built much easier used by the Israelite slaves to take out the Ark of the Covenant and would have been known to some of their descendants who later joined the Islamic movement. 1500 years later, Al-Mamun would have tried his luck at taking what was left but probably got only crumbs. Thus the Israelite slave or slaves who I believe to have killed Moses, to have tried to kill Moses, would have used the main entrance to go in, but could not use the same entrance to come out of with the ark. A simple reason would be that someone would have seen them, and secondly, the main entrance is said to be small. Whatever they were getting out was small enough to go down the first part of the ascending passage, but it was too long to go around the, the bend between the descending and ascending passages, hence the crude tunnel. So we come back to the same starting point. Moses wanted to release the Israelites from slavery by giving them the knowledges of the science, the knowledge of the sciences, the cosmic knowledge of Mitzrayim. Once they understood what was the astronomical metaphor behind who they were, they would have never been enslaved again, either by the Egyptian establishment nor by the Jewish or Hebrew rabbinical establishment. He did not come to start a new religion, but just empower the slaves with knowledge. There was no better place on earth to understand the happenings of our cosmos, but in Egypt, on the plains of Giza, with the pyramids in the background. The pyramids of Giza are an astronomical metaphor of the cosmos on earth, the perfect place to understand cosmic metaphysics in Egypt something the rabbinical swamp would never have wanted. From the Hebrew Exodus to Mount Sinai, later 
through the, their time in the Egyptian desert, something happened. The story changed. They ended up forming the kingdom of Israel, a product of its time. The rest is history. Moses only offered the slaves wisdom, not an ideology, neither a religion, neither a feudal kingdom, nor geopolitics. So that was the first part of the Hebrew history until the from Egypt, like I said, to from from Canaan to Egypt, then into slavery, from slavery, uh, the Exodus and out of Egypt, and then forming the kingdom of Israel. So we're going to go now to the kingdom of Israel and the city of Jerusalem and the Temple Mount. After nearly 40 years in the desert, the Israelite people reached the Holy Land. This brings us to the most contested site on earth. It is supposed to be some time of holy land, some type of holy land or holiest of holies. On the contrary, it would qualify to be the bloodiest place on earth since time immemorial. The Temple Mount is located in Jerusalem in the modern state of Israel, a land sitting at the crossroads of civilization, in an area that would have would be between the Mesopotamian Valley, the Indus Valley Civilization, and the Nile River Delta, a city which back then formed part of the Kingdom of Israel and later on the Southern Kingdom of Judah. This strategic land would have been where caravans would have passed to hundreds of thousands of years, making this prime real estate since ancient times. Controlling this piece of land and its surroundings would be the goal of every clan, tribe, kingdom, and empire since the seabed of the Tetis Sea rose up the shifting of the continents. After the shifting of the continents, the capital of Jerusalem is one of particular importance for its geographical and geopolitical significance. Fertile soil, Mediterranean climate, geopolitical heart of action, crossroads of the trade route. One monument that is known to almost every inhabitant on the planet and contested by three Bedouin Abrahamic religions are also known as colonial empires. This, my dear friend, is the story of the Temple Mount. The old city of Jerusalem is located in which it's located is the center of three major valleys. The Hinnom Valley, also called the Gehenna or Akeledema Valley, south of Jerusalem. The second valley is the Kidron Valley, located on the north and the east side of the city. The southeast of the Temple Mount, the Kidron joins the third valley, that is the central or the Tyropian Valley, which passes down the west side of the mount. The gulf between the two tr between these valleys, south of Jerusalem, forms a natural defense for King David's city of Jerusalem and on the Mount of Zion. The Kidron Valley also provides the only water source for the city of David, known as the Gihon Springs. Very, very important part. The Gihon Springs is the key to your answers of Judaic history. The peak of the mountain range from these valleys is known as Mount Moriah. The mount today, this mount today sits below the famous architectural monument known 
to most as the Dome of the Rock. The Jewish people believed that the prophet Abraham was commanded by God to sacrifice his son Isaac on this mountain range known as Moriah. At the time of David, the city of Jerusalem was only occupied uh, the southern part of the ridge and was occupied by the Jezebites. Jebusites, sorry. David captures the city known then as the Jebusite fortress and moves the Ark of the Covenant to this site. Since the old city was small, David purchases the rest of the land that is the mountain range of Mount Moriah. Under this reign of his son Solomon, the first temple was built on this mount, which approximately seven years to complete. Solomon also built himself a new palace with the help of the Phoenicians. Uh, and expanded the walls of the old city around the wall of the new city of Moriah, we call today the Temple Mount. Known in Hebrew as the Beit HaMikdash or Har HaBait, meaning the house of God or sanctified house. The temple itself is in turn supposed to replicate the tabernacle of Moses, which is supposed to eliminate to emulate the Garden of Eden with the cherubim and the flaming swords. So Israel has to retrace the steps of Adam and Eve to re-enter the Garden of Eden into the favor of God. The temple has had to be built in the east-west direction. As we all know, the first temple of Jerusalem was destroyed by the Babylonians and the second temple by the Romans in 70 AD. The Bar Kokhba revolt in 135 AD signified the end of the Roman province of Judea. The kingdom of Israel and the last of the Judeans were banished from Jerusalem. Ever since then, the last of the Israelites have been dispersed all over the world. Out of contempt for the people of Judea, the Roman Emperor Hadrian, on his tour of the Eastern European Eastern Roman Empire, turns the original city of Jerusalem, uh, that is the city of David, into a dumping ground and they renames the city of Jerusalem Alia Cap Capitolina. So once the Israelites are, the, se the second temple is destroyed, the Israelites are dispersed all over the world. Um, the Roman Emperor Hadrian now destroys the city and turns it into a garbage dump again. Very important point here. Remember this point. We're going to come back to it during Islam. This is the dumping ground that he's talking about, the old city of David. The most important article I read from a, a very interesting blog um, called followinghadrian.com. If you, if you fellows want to, you know, Google it and, and read about it. It's fantastic. I'm not authorized to use it, but it, so it's, it is suggested to, to, to the readers to read the information on the blog itself, and it's very well done. It's called followinghadrian.com. Almost 2,000 years passed since the Temple of uh, Jerusalem was, the Mount, Temple of Jerusalem was brought down. And in 1948, when the state, current state of Israel was created, Jerusalem was under Jordanian control. Uh, it was not only, it was not until the Six-Day Third Arab-Israeli War of 1967 that the city of Jerusalem was brought under Israeli control. 
ever since then, the most contested monument in the world has come back into focus. Will history repeat itself? Or will, it, will us human fools learn from our mistakes of the past to create peaceful opportunities for the future? What important, one important point to note, the Bible and the Torah and Hebrew literature never uses the word Jews. So there's no word Jews in the Old Testament. Biblical scriptures almost always uses the term children of Israel, meaning the 12 tribes of Israel or the 12 sons of Israel, as in Bene Israel. The term Jews or Jewish comes into play only in the 13th century. The term Jew comes from the word Yehud, meaning citizen of the historical kingdom of Judah, originally from the tribe of Judah or the fourth son of Jacob. Thus it was not a term they used for themselves. More importantly, a Yehudi in bi biblical times refers to the cult of militants or rebels who revolted against Rome, the ruling state of that time. According to Josephus, the first century historian, the rebels along with the were belonged to a temple cult. They were at odds with the rabbinical Hebrew authorities, a portion of whom were Idumean converts to what we now call Judaism. Thus, in the, in the modern world, calling people who follow the laws of Moses or, or Torah a Jew is an incorrect term. When we use the word Jews, we are stereotyping 16 million people as cult militants. When Jesus was crucified on the cross, he was labeled in Latin, Jesus, Jesus Nazarenus Rex Eudeorum, as in king of the militant cult in Judea, Ediludiarorum. Sorry, I can't pronounce it, but it's one of the provinces around um, the state of Judea, province of Judea. Um, so, like I said, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, he was labeled in Latin as Jesus uh, Nazarenus or Rex Ludenarum, as in king of the militant cult of Judea not the population of the king of kingdom of Judah or the province of Judea or the kingdom of Israel. After the Islamic invasion, the term children of Israel, Banu Israel, or people of the book, came to signify the people who kept the laws of the Ten Commandments or that of Moses and those who did not keep those, as in the rebels were called Yehudi as an outcast or outlawed people of Yehud or Judah. The Quran makes a distinction in this matter. Three Quranic verses, chapter 7, verses 166, chapter 2, verse 65, chapter 5, verse 60. And the name, they name Jews as apes and pigs, meaning the Ju those Judeans known as or Yehudi uh, in Arabic, or their descendants and those who came from the breakaway southern kingdom of Judah. However, the Quran also refers to the northern Israelite people as people of the book, that is, those who followed follow the word of God as given to Moses, noted in the first five books of the Torah, the Talmud and the Ten Commandments. In the Quran 578, it says, Curses were pronounced on those among the children of Israel who rejected faith by the tongue of David and Jesus, the son of Mary because they disobeyed and persisted in excess. 
This part meant those Israelites who lived in Judea and descended from the breakaway kingdom of Judah. They joined the new movement of Christianity which stemmed from the Jesus, son of Mary. They rejected the fate of David. It's truly that the concepts were all it's true that the concepts were all tangled up. However, generations of Muslims to come forgot about the early distinction, distinctions and have been programmed to hate all those who follow the Torah and the Talmud as Jews. These Yehud or people of, of Yehud or Judah in English, those who rebelled against northern Israelites, went on to form what we call um, as Christianity today and the establishment of the church all aligned with the political power of Rome. When Muslims took over Jerusalem, the Israelites, who were um, descendants of those from the ten northern tribes, were the marginalized tribes. Their geopolitical alliance with the Muslim leaders in the Levant from the inside was only to stand and to consolidate their collective power. Um, uh, as these Israelites descended from the ten northern tribes, many changed sides. They would have been those, been the ones who were have been made to distinguish the distinction between Yehud and the people of the book. With their numbers expanding, the new Islamic alliance would finally would eventually take over the state or the kingdom. Something that happens even today. One look at the prison and marginalized populations of Western Europe and it's where Islam proselytizes the most. A lot of prison inmates were converted to Islam by other Muslim inmates. They who make up a huge portion of the prison uh, population. In, in India, Islamists go to the poor and the marginalized communities where they still actively proselytize. All three Bedouin religions have forgotten their original concepts. All, well, as you can see, as you can guess, it was not easy back then. It was not easy back now. Once you get these concepts out of the way, they will always, uh, then they will always be the original site of, of Solomon's temple to fight about. So that is uh, a little story about um, the history of Judaism. It's only part two. We still got part three and part four coming out and part five, I think. Um, if we can finish it tomorrow, well and good. If not, we'll need another day, but I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, it's just a small part, podcast, uh, part of history, Judaic history, and you're going to need a book for this. You're going to need a lot of material and uh, go back and forth and research as much as possible. Thank you so much for your time. You have yourself a great day.